Hey, everybody, we'll be taking your calls off the Twitter spaces and, of course, Restream and Rumble Rant. Uh, today, the guest is Jerry Stahl, a novelist and screenwriter. His new book is 999, not, I, not the number nine, N-E-I-N. There it is. One Man's Tale of Depression, Psychic Torment, and a Bus Tour. And uh, when I think about elevating one's mood, I immediately, my mind goes to touring uh, death camps in Germany and Poland. Uh, nothing more uplifting than that. But uh, Jerry did exactly that. And uh, he has got some interesting insights into our current political climate and what happened back then. And in, I guess in point of fact, it did have an interesting impact on him. But we'll get into all of that. Um, another quick aside, uh, I saw that some weird Twitter feeds were saying that we didn't mention Dr. Zelenko's passing, which we categorically did. And uh, as I said at the time, he had a very severe cancer, and it's remarkably lived as long as he did. And his intention was to serve and to do good, and we will we will miss him. Um, terribly. But, yeah, but Susan, Susan says terribly. And uh, indeed, if anybody would like to make comment or talk about him uh, from the Twitter spaces, we're happy to do so. But we'll get right to Jerry Stahl after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. So again, I said, I'll be watching you guys on Restream. I'm checking in there right now. And uh, those of you that uh, those of you that uh, use a lot of the memes from your mom's house, uh, hey, Hitler might have a specially vivid uh, meaning today. And I see some of you. Oh, Susan, you did that. I did that. You did that. So I, I don't I don't want to explain to Jerry what that's all about. That's It's nothing to do with Hitler. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you over. I, I've been talking. It's to a you. term of endearment it's, here. It's, 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 it's mahalo. It, it's, it's, it's aloha, really. Uh, and I'm watching um, also over on Rumble Rants, got a little conversation with Jay Hep, who's over there very frequently, about the masking, uh, possible mask mandates in um, New York City, where we are right now. And uh, I was just, my understanding is that the R naught, meaning the infectivity potential of uh, the Omicron BA4 and BA5, is essentially 17. That's that's the last measurement I saw. Uh, I'll just remind you that the original, the original illness, the alpha, the the R naught was three. So I'm not sure mask. I'm certain that cloth masks and surgical masks aren't going to do anything. Um, you might be able to protect yourself, yourself, no one else, just yourself, by wearing a well-fitting N95 style mask. But you got to wear it perfectly. And I will tell you, I've seen a lot of uh, what looks like BA4 or 5. I didn't measure the viral. We don't actually routinely get the viral uh, typing back, but seen a lot of Omicron for sure because it's all upper upper airway stuff. And uh, the vast majority, I'd say 90% of the cases I've seen have been very, very, very mild. Uh, they've been mostly, of course, in vaccinated folks. Uh, but the people particularly had hybrid immunity, previous Omicron with vaccine, seem to do very, very well with this. So let's bring in our guest, Jerry Stahl, as I said, is a novelist and screenwriter and went out on the road. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing motivated by a mood disturbance. Uh, Jerry, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
So, so make that connection uh, yeah. for me. How, how, what was going on with you? Sure. What motivated you to get on a bus? And uh, again, nothing, nothing says uh, elevated mood like uh, Auschwitz. <laughs> well, I have, I have not always been the wisest in terms of uh, elevating my own moods. I'm, I'm that guy I talked about in Permanent Midnight who tried to get off heroin by doing crack. Clearly a bad decision. In the same way, uh, super depressed at one point in my life, I thought, why not go to the most depressing place on earth where despair is entirely appropriate? And uh, I got Vice Magazine to uh, cover me to uh, take a bus tour of the concentration camps with a bunch of strangers, uh, many of whom had never seen a Jew. So it was, uh, it was quite an interesting adventure. <laughs> And um, I've got a million questions, naturally. Um, one is, um, it seems odd to me that they'd never seen a Jew. Where, did, where, where had they been? Where did they come from? And how do they react? Uh, funny you should ask. We went around the room the first night uh, we were there in, in uh, Warsaw at the Kolbasa Grotto. And everybody was asked why they went on the tour. And a lot of them were like, uh, I've always admired the Jewish people. I've watched a lot of History Channel and the Military Channel, and I love Schindler's List. Uh, never met a Jew, but they seem great. And uh, so <laughs> myself and another old fellow, uh, were the only uh, the only tribe of Moses on there. We had to represent. And uh, odd as it sounds, I, I I grew to love all these characters. You know, they're just it's a whole other world, Drew. No, of well, people who were rich who tour by bus that's their world really and, and and is this is the reason they'd been isolated are these midwesterners or these people live in rural parts of the they're Midwest. americans i assume right these are americans yeah they're, i don't say that with any malice some of them are americans they just didn't happen to mingle with uh semites and a couple of them were from australia and new zealand and uh that's how it shook down for them jew-wise well, the, but the, I've been, I've been uh, Jew wise. Well, um, I've been, yeah, I, I've been um, obsessing a little bit these days about the, the nature of our uh, bigotries uh, and how to mm -hmm. overcome them. And, and I would include in our bigotries our extreme political polarizations. Uh, and contact is, is always been the, the solution. Back since the 50s, there was actually a book called Contact. Now, it turns out that Contact uh, uh, needs to be a little bit more structured than just some random sort of handshaking. There needs to be sort of common goals, and it's got to be a structured environment, and you have to spend a certain amount of time together, which is really what it sounds like you were in here. I mean, the common goal was touring, touring these facilities, meeting a Jewish person, and or Jew-wise person. I'm not sure how we're going to, how this language is going to evolve. And, um, and, and I'm guessing, uh, it, it, it not only their appreciation of you, but your of them deepened. A absolutely true. Um, I don't know about you. I tend to be judgmental, you know, like, uh, many people are, which all judgment ultimately is self-judgment as any 12 stepper will tell you. And, um, for me, Where they came uh -oh. from? Uh oh, what happened? You 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 froze for a brief second. You're back. 
Okay, that happens. Even when I'm not on camera, I just freeze. Fair enough. So okay, uh, well, I'm glad. We'll, we'll work I'm with glad. it. And yeah, we'll work with it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing to sort of get out of your comfort zone and meet people you wouldn't normally associate with. And uh, there was about 19 days of that, uh, sleeping, eating, touring, going to Dachau, Buchenwald, and Auschwitz together. And I'm a little surprised that you felt, um, I, I'm going to use a word that I don't really mean, but, but a little exceptional prior to this contact, because isn't that one of the requisites of a good sobriety? Was, was there something wrong with your sobriety at the time? In other words, you have to have humility. You have to look for commonalities. You can't feel different. Of course, than. Yeah. Was, something yeah. going, was something going on in your sobriety at the time as well? Uh, I just come from a long line of depressos and suicides, not to brag. So uh, it's always, sobriety for me is always like running as fast as you can up a down escalator just to stay in the middle. So uh, yeah. I'll let you whether, you know, that's good or bad sobriety. But, it, you know, it's been solid for a lot of years, but that's something that I've always fought. And the best way for me, speaking of sobriety, is to listen to other people's stories and talk right. about that. Right. Get out. Right. That's the solution for me as a rule. Yeah, getting out of your own head. Are, are you sponsoring other people or did you at one time? No, of course I do. Yeah, many people. Yeah. 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 Okay. Still do. Okay. So it... So really, there's, there's nothing wrong with your sobriety. There was just sort of a, it, it feels, it's something about, something you were holding on to. Let's put it that way. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just something you were holding on to. And how's your mood now? Uh, oddly enough, uh, much better, you know, on the other side of all this. Sometimes I think, you know, the best way to get to the other side is straight through. So I just went to this place that I thought, would really take me south and put me in a place almost like testing, you know, to see how you make out. But what happens is you're prepared to have this amazing experience. And the first thing you see when you stumble onto Auschwitz is a bunch of people and I'm with stupid t-shirts eating pizza and drinking Fanta in the Auschwitz snack bar, which I had not anticipated. Nope. And uh, threw me for a loop. Not to judge again, but it's in the way that life usually does. You think you're getting one thing, you end up getting another. But but it it, it sounds like a uh, you know almost Kafka, not even Kafka. It's, it sounds like uh, you know a, a true absurdist sort of uh, through the looking glass. Like you're in yeah. Auschwitz, and you're instead you find Fago and uh, hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that, did that did you find that humorous or did it did it bother you in a more negative way? It was such a surprise to me because you know we all have these images of, of the bodies and ovens and the SS men and dogs that I just didn't see it coming. So um, at first I was sort of angry. Then I caught myself. It's like well you went to see humanity. And this is humanity. This is what people do. And you can't expect people to behave the way I think they might want to behave. If you want to wear short shorts and a Megadeth t-shirt to visit Buchenwald, who am I to judge? Well, I, I, I know it's so <laughs> ironic to me because you, you mentioned that you are a judgmental person. I am not a judgmental person. 
But I would have trouble not judging that. I really would have trouble not sitting in judgment. So how, how did you, as a judgmental person, not do so, except just to accept humanity on, on its own terms? That's exactly what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, being judgmental is its own reward. Knowing I have that character defect, you know, I keep an eye on it. And what I tried to do was, uh, you know, talk to some of these people and go in there and find out yeah. what are they thinking? You know, did yeah. you... Yeah. Come to Auschwitz to have a hot dog? Is that the goal? Uh, you know, I, I've done journalism over the years, and I always find myself going to those places that are odd, off off the beaten track. I, I was fascinated by the yeah. men's room attendant at Auschwitz, who, let's face it, wouldn't have a job if it weren't for the Holocaust. And, and did you speak with him? or be, uh, do you, I imagine you just spoke German, right? Or Polish, wherever you were. He spoke, he spoke, this was in Poland, so I tried yeah. through an interpreter because I was very curious, like, I wonder if he was like a fourth generation crapper hand, you know, over there in Poland and, and like had his great great grandfather held Himmler's hat while, uh, you know, the right Fuhrer was relieving himself. But uh, it was tough to have a conversation. Eek bein crapper hand. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have put it better. <laughs> I, see, I, this it's so dark, but it's so funny. I can see why it lifted your mood. I, I, I'm completely having an upside down experience thinking about it. What was there? Was there any um, other than the sort of the 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 uh, farcical elements and the extreme dark humor? Were there other surprises? Sorry, you froze up for a second. Was well, there I, I was going to say, let, let me put it this way. I'm going to ask something different. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking about Victor Frankel. Okay. Course, and, yeah. and, and I'm guessing you were well healed in uh, happiness and meaning as, as you made your way into these, these prisons. Mm -hmm. yes? Of course. Did, did that have, uh, to me, that, that particularly the 75 or so pages that he described what was going on there, did that come back to you uh, as you looked at some of these places, or was it still filled with these odd juxtapositions that you couldn't get past? Uh, I think both things existed his, at once. On the, on the abstract level, of course, I've read Viktor Frankl and, and, and also Primo Levi, you know, who was another writer who actually survived the camps and said something that was very profound, which was the best people were not the ones who survived. And somehow filtered down to me as, well, maybe the best people aren't the ones who visit. You know, I don't know what the motivation is. I, I, but I have to admire them for making the effort. And you have to talk to people on their own terms. And uh, I think I learned a lot, you know, from these uh, interesting characters. But I wasn't ready for the selfies, to tell you the truth. And, and, oh, yeah, I can imagine that. And 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 when did when did your mood begin to lift or did it? Well, I had a, a very to me profound experience. Um, this sort of standing in the oven, seeing the scratches on the walls, knowing mm. that the bodies tended to pile up in a pyramid with the babies on top. You know, I knew all this and I felt it, and I come staggering out, and I'm on the grounds. And I hear, Grandma, Grandma. And it turns out 
these young Filipino ladies thought that I was Kramer and wanted to have a selfie with me. experience. And I went from the sublime and, you know, mystical sort of communing with my ancestors to this bizarre thing of being asked to do a selfie with a bunch of people who thought I was a celebrity who I actually wasn't, but who I said yes to because who needs the drama? So that all happened. So you're not Kramer. Okay, I got that straight. So, so, so. It took me a while to realize that, yes. I, I understand, I understand. So, so t take me now back from this and tell me how this has affected your philosophy about maybe living or people or what, what, what sort of, did you take away any big insights? other than this, this juxtaposition stuff we've been talking about? I think the insight that I had more than any, as you visit the past, and for me, it almost felt, given what's happening now, like visiting the future. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the insight that I had is that the Holocaust and the genocide are not the exception. The exception yeah. is the time in between and the axe yeah. is always falling and you have to be grateful for that time now yeah so well i hope we're in, we're staying in that time so so talk to me some more about that uh, i uh, i'm very worried about the present moments and uh, i always was so mystified by how how you know the average german could go along with these things and could perpetrate these things and and um, during COVID, I saw such extraordinary behaviors by people who were temporarily given authorities and were mm -hmm. just just like an average German citizen. And uh, you know, I, for instance, I was at my um, hospital where I worked for forty years, uh, trying to get a vaccine. But uh, when I went in, I was yelled at by a young, maybe thirty-year-old gentleman was literally screaming at me where are your papers i didn't have the right papers and i thought wow i mean the thought bubble over my head was do you enjoy this i mean a senior physician walks in and, and you start screaming at the top of your lungs where are your papers is this you must enjoy this is somebody's given you this authority and now you're you are into it so it it made me sort of think oh this this is how it goes it's just an average person sort of feels a, 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 a but it's it doesn't i don't even think it was any kind of conscious payback or i'll show you i just thought it was um well now i've got the authority and i shall wield it because i'm going to do a good job uh without any thought to what they were doing mm -hmm. did you have your papers i, I my papers were uh, i had papers but they were not um to his satisfaction so i had to go your back into the bowels of the hospital they were, they were in order, but I didn't have the right this and the right that. I can't remember what the specifics were. Yeah, I was trying to get the vaccine. Of course, I, I contracted COVID running around the hospital that day. But, uh, you know, that's you got trying to get the vaccine. Yes. Oh, yes. It was a great, great irony. Yeah. It, 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 you, you should include it in the book next to the stories about the, the, diet, the Dr. Peppers and the, and, the, and, the, and the pretzels and mustard. But 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 that but it is a thing. You're 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 right. It, people go that direction, and it sort of seems to me. Tell me if this is part of your insight. 
that sort of the more centralized and bureaucratic we become, the more the risk for that is of developing? Is, is that a reasonable insight? I think that's one part of it. Another part, which I hadn't realized, one of the tour guides was very nice, um, friendly, kind of charismatic young woman. She was talking about her great-grandfather, who was a Nazi, and that she had asked him, how could you side with the Nazis? And he said, well, they gave me 12 slaves, and who else would do that? And they made me rich. Mm. And what you realize, mm. forget politics, forget authority, forget even bigotry. The Nazis made a lot of people a lot of money, you know? And in our own time, I think there's a certain parallel to be had. Uh, a lot of people made a lot of money under a certain, whatever your politics, a certain fascist adjacent uh, leader we ourselves had. And I think for a lot of people, that justifies or at least explains why they behave the way they behave. In the case of the guy with their papers, it seems like all he got out of it was a feeling of power, which is something mm -hmm. else entirely from what you say. Which is, yeah, right. That's what that was. That's exactly right. Uh, I, I noticed I'm having trouble when I live in a state that locks me down and remains on an emergency and takes deeply incompetent, like disgustingly decompetent policies that drastically hinder people's personal freedoms. I start losing track of who the fascists are. It, it, I, it, just, it just seems like people will do fascistic things fighting what they think is fascism. And that mm -hmm. almost scares me more than anything. I mean, that's, that, that's kind of how Hitler came to power. One group was fighting another group, and they were all fighting communism. And, you know, which, what, what, which is the, the, worst, the, the worst policy? They, they lost track of that. Yeah. Uh, of course. I mean, on some level, you have to ask yourself, why are people doing what they are doing? I don't know. Do you think the reason people end up being fascistic and super regulatory is because they enjoy power? Or do you think on some level they think, perhaps naively, that this is what is required to end the plague? I, I, think, I think they believe they're doing the right thing for sure. I don't mm -hmm. think it's some sort of evil intent. Uh, I think it's mm -hmm. a, a, an intent to do the, the right thing. Um, like Hitler thought he was fighting communism, whatever. I mean, they, they do these things. Now, the ease with which they take away, uh, it catches my attention, <laughs> when the ease with which they take away personal freedoms and lock things down and all that was sort of sh shocking to me, surprising. I, and by the way, I did so willingly. I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm just thinking, we're just using COVID as an example, it's just a, just a more mm -hmm. recent history to, to call upon. And I was thinking, you know, I was like, well, he wants to do this. Uh, I'm a good citizen and he's pr preparing for the worst case. Okay. All right, I'm gonna. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's a bad idea, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. You know, fine. But we'll do that. Right. And uh, it became increasingly clear what a bad idea it was. And yet, doubling down, tripling down, and and an un, You know, then you have an unwillingness to go to be objective and look at things because of maybe fear of embarrassment or having been wrong before. Or I, I don't know what. You know, people get in these cognitive dissonances that keep mm -hmm. them going down these paths. And uh, we're all guilty of it. No, and it's not like that. It's all, not only that's a, that, it's not as though that's a uh, unique to anybody. And we have to really fight the cognitive glitches in our brain. Um, 
and, and that's just that's just one of the things we have to watch for. I mean, you've already talked about you know character stuff and power concerns and money. I mean, that's all in the mix all the time for everybody. And uh, it, it, I, it, it, I, I would refrain. Yeah, I, I would refrain. I, whenever I think about these things, I refrain from saying, you know, I don't have cognitive dissonance. You have cognitive. You know, it, I, finger pointing misses the point a little bit. You know, but you got to really watch your own systems and the people you support and make sure we're not making the same mistakes because as you say it's 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 more the exception that we don't make these mistakes and it's it's very very treacherous and very very concerning so you haven't told me yet whether your mood came back what what what, when when did your mood come come back to or has it come back Uh, I, uh, weirdly enough, I find myself, maybe it's just because I've reached an age where it's like, you might as well be happy because I'm a lot closer to dead than 40, you know? And, uh, if you don't get it right now, mm-hmm. when are you? And just real briefly, I mean, I come from a family, my mother had this ability, for example, to walk into a room and everybody in there would suddenly hate themselves. Like, oh my God, I... I feel like crap. I don't know why. And it was like the world's most annoying superpower. So in my (laughs) old age and perhaps wisdom, I'm not looking necessarily to be happy. I'm looking not to make you unhappy. I'm looking. (laughs) That's a noble noble cause. Well, if you come from where I come from, it's a high bar, (laughs) but it's, 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 it's its own reward because you feel like shit when you make other people feel that way, you know, and, uh, it's and, the lesson I learned and, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing, particularly, you know, I sponsor a lot of people and there's nobody more dramatic and self-centered as you may have read than addicts and alcoholics. And if you just kind of point out, you know what, it's not all about you think about somebody else and don't impose your torments on others and you'll feel better. I hope that doesn't sound as, preachy, uh, you have, that's just my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as my patients often tell me, they feel like a piece of shit around which the whole world revolves. Sort of the of perfect course. description of the, 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 the addict mindset. Universe. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 And um, so, so there's something called projective identification that people with certain personality styles mm-hmm. have that they can literally, they can literally inject their negative affect into other people. And you're describing your mom as having that, but I've never seen it with Jewish guilt. I've never seen projective Jewish guilt identification, but, but you're describing exactly that. Is that, is that what that is? Yes, I think it's the perfect delivery system for what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, we end up, uh, you know, we, we become what we don't want to become, you know, and uh, it's, yeah. it's a slippery slope. Oh, but that 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 was sort of a guiding thing for me in sobriety and how I ended up having having it all make sense for me was just giving it. You know, my sponsor used to say Hubert Selby on his answering machine, he would say, thanks and give a good day, which sounds corny and hokey. But then you realize the guy who kicked dope screaming strapped to a gurney in the you know sheriff's station in West Hollywood. So I'm going to respect it. And that has always stayed with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that service meaning, you know, that's what Victor Frankl stuff was. That's what, that's what he found in the, in the concentration camp. He ended up doing some doctoring and, you know, finding ways to make meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, he, there's a picture, I'm sure, you know, these pictures of the barracks with these, 
you know, mm. horrible, vacant, malnourished, yeah. you know, glances. Uh, and he ha there's something towards the end of his last edition where he says, mm. you know, people maybe or maybe I saw it in an interview where he said, you know, people look at that picture and they're they're not just horrified; they feel terrible for the, the it was men, men in that picture. And he mm. goes, why, why do you why do you know to feel terrible for them? This might have been a good day. They're they're together, so they're warm. They may have been fed and five minutes before, which they rarely were. They may have been at their happiest moment of the last three months. You, you, they, yes, they yeah. look not well, but you, you can't say that he was sort of, it's interesting. His perspective is so eccentric to having been, uh, you know, in those barracks. So it's kind of, and him making, making the best of everything he possibly could, which is you know, right. kind of what we're talking about here. Where did, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and then I ended up in New York at about 16, 17. Was that going to work or school? or? I got shipped off to school. Uh, when I was 16, my father uh, decided the solution would be to go into the garage and leave the motor running and put the door down. So that happened. Mm. So I mm. shipped away to school for a couple of years, and then I ended up Went to college in New York, Columbia, and stayed there for a while before coming out to LA. Got it. And uh, no drugs up there in the Upper West Side. So, so uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that's where it all got going. Yes. Well, it all started there. I, I had the bright idea to get to LA, maybe uh, to get away from drugs, and became ah. you know more of a dope than ever in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, where yes. come, where I, comes where comes those... you know uh, your friend. Bob Forrest may have mentioned. I mean, we all have that history, you know, of uh, yep. L.A. junkie-doom. Oh yes, oh yes. It, it, you know, it was. It's interesting. I mean, you, you. I'm, I'm guessing just because every time I, I talk to somebody new and uh, who knows Bob, you, you knew each other in three or four different lives. Like Bob will just go, yeah, I used to run, I used to run drugs with him. Yeah. It's, I live, we lived in the street in MacArthur park. Yeah. We'd ride the buses at night and slam heroin. And it's like, and then, and then he'll may say, and yeah, Jerry 12 stepped me. And then, then he went back out and then I 12 stepped him. And I, I don't know your story, Jerry, but I'm just saying that's the kind of stuff I hear from Bob yeah. all the time. And like there's some three some or four different that, lives. Yeah. That... Sure. I didn't yeah, know Bob okay. out there. Right. But I knew Bob, early, I knew Bob early on. And what I loved about him is, you know, he was one of the funniest guys I ever met. And when you're coming into the rooms and, you know, you don't have any uh, serotonin left and things are pretty grim, there's nothing like a guy who, who makes you laugh your ass off in the worst of it. He, he has a great story where, um, you know, one of his many attempts at getting sober, he um, somebody convinced him, just keep coming to the meetings, Bob, just keep coming. So he came with a six pack and sat in the back and drank the whole six pack. And was expecting, you know, real reaction from everybody. And he said, everyone went out to the parking lot afterwards, and they looked at him and said, "All right, Bob, keep coming back." And he was just, he, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't process that. And that's um, not the action he wanted. Yeah. yeah. So, our, our, so we're going to take a little break, and, and okay. uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Hitler and Nazi drug use, which is uh, well. Some of it's some of it's lore, and some of it's well documented. So I want to hear what your thoughts are mm -hmm. about that. Uh, and again, sure. let's put the book up there, Caleb. Nine nine nine. I can't wait to read this book. It's it sounds it sounds. I'm going to say, Jerry, you tell me if I got this right. Awful and funny. 
two great yeah, adjectives. That about yeah. All right, we'll be right back. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. Soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to Genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, and the code is D-R-E-W. And a reminder that the immediate effects, the immediate effects eye cream can have results in just 12 hours. And I literally found immediate effects from that eye cream myself. Uh, Susan, are you good there? You still, she's right. I'm great. Okay, very good. And we, again, we want to thank our friends at Genucel. The guest is Jerry Stahl. The book is 999. Uh, I am watching you guys on the restream. And of course, I'm over there on, with the Rumble Ranters. And we've got calls coming in. Uh, we will get to that as well. But first, I want to talk to Jerry about uh, some of the the historic uh, use of particularly amphetamines. I, I think the I guess the one observation that can't be assailed and is uh, just so was that the German army used a lot of amphetamines. Accurate? Absolutely. Uh, the pharmacists at IG Farben came up with something they called pervitin which enabled the, uh, the tank, enabled the blitzkriegs to happen because these guys could literally keep fighting and traveling and rolling for three and four days with no sleep. Mm -hmm. So that was the Wehrmacht end of things. On the personal end of things, Hitler himself was strung out like a lab rat from his Dr. Morell, who gave him a combo, which I'm sure you know this, of morphine, amphetamine, and cocaine, and my favorite, Bulgarian peasant stool, which he thought would give him extra vitality because the Bulgarian peasants were so damn strong. How did he take and it? He, inje he was injected constantly. And he that's why you'll see for about three or four years, Hitler looks like he's aged decades, and he has a tremor because... He, there were no veins left. He was being injected constantly, more and more, higher and higher doses, and uh, getting crazier and crazier. Right. And uh, the, the amphetamine, did you ever do meth, the amphetamine yourself, or was sure. it strictly opiates? Yeah, there, yeah. I did it all. I, I did opiates, did a lot of cocaine. Yeah. was on speed for, for did, did you, and before I got deep into that, I did, I did uh, the pills. I never shot speed or smoked it. Did you ever get the speed psychosis? 
Uh, I got the cocaine psychosis, which is uh, mm. probably mm. a dozen. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. That's a so hard there's thing. a there's a distinction the, the, just for the people out there the, the cocaine psychosis yeah. is very different than the meth psychosis so the cocaine psychosis is nearly always a preoccupation with uniformed officers police SWAT teams Navy or somebody in a uniform's coming to get me uh, and when you stop then usually it's crack or some sort of volatilized cocaine or shot in, inter, injected cocaine. When you stop, the psychosis resolves quickly, like 12 hours, 24 hours, that kind of thing. With meth, it comes on much slower, and it takes weeks to months to resolve. And it's a preoccupation with family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. And there can be elaborate delusions around that in terms of what the people close to that individual are thinking about and planning. And it gets just wilder and wilder the longer you use the drug. And uh, it's, it's pernicious. So God knows what that did. I, you know, uh, people forget. I, I'm just thinking as you talk. I, I wasn't aware that that there was that much going on with Hitler, and I wasn't aware it was specifically physician administered. Um, I thought it was a little more sort of nefarious how he came by it. But but the physician administered part, it, it it gets my attention. Well, because we're still dealing with that problem to this very day. For one thing, which is you know my peers killing patients, which constant. But it happened to a lot of world leaders and celebrities. Uh, people mm -hmm. don't know the, the story. Do you know the story about John Kennedy? Of course, Dr. Feelgood, yeah. He was always Dr. hit John Kennedy, and Judy Garland. They all had the same, Rod Serling. They all had the same doctor. Yeah. I, I, actually, to bring it even closer, my own mother had that guy. And he was injecting <gasps> her with serious? benzodiazepines. Yeah, yeah. And wow. she, he was injected with benzodiazepines, and she didn't know what was going on until she developed withdrawal from that when she left the mm. Las Vegas for the time. And and this guy, Kennedy actually had an, a, a acute amphetamine psychosis where he threw his clothes off and was doing cartwheels down the hall of a hotel and That's proclaiming right. how, how great he felt. And then the opiates, the opiates were why he had back pain. And let me tell you something. The, the whole thing about him having had Addison's disease is bullshit. Mm -hmm. If you take chronic opiates, you look like you have Addison's. You also look like you have testicular failure because that's what opiates do to you. You don't have Addison's disease. Probably the same asshole that was giving him the opiates was the one making these diagnoses. Ugh. Mm. I didn't know that awful. about the Addison's. So that's, that's a direct result of the opiates. For sure. For sure. For sure, it's not. It wasn't Addison's. Addison's is a specific disorder. It's an autoimmune attack on the. This was he had low cortisol and he had low testosterone. I'm sure because somebody was injecting with morphine regularly, and he had back pain. And as you know, if you did opiates, back pain is something that develops with chronic opiates. It's because you develop a chronic withdrawal syndrome, and so people get in this cycle of back pain, more opiates, back pain, more opiates, and then all the other shit hits medically. Yeah, it's good. It's good times. And um, literally, uh, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about this publicly. Um, let me get on the restream here. Anthony, are you in the restream there? Can I tell our story from today? I better not. I haven't seen it. Okay, I better not. I, I just uh, They're still making the same mistake over and over and over again.
I'd like to hear about your mother having this doctor. How did they get together? How did he? Their past. She cross? was uh, a singer. She was a singer mm-hmm. in a in, for a band that opened the Dunes Hotel, and she started really? having anxiety. Yeah, and uh, the the you know it was back when the uh, the genie was over the remember the genie over the, uh, the casino. I don't know if you're. Yeah. Yeah, the big that was her. That was the hotel she opened as part of this opening wow. act or this opening show, and she would got anxiety, and so this guy showed up and started injecting. This is how you're going to get over anxiety. Here is lorazepam. This will take care of it. And of course, it does. Feels great. Yeah. And then uh, good times ensue. So it's so bad. I, I it just goes. It's why we have all the homeless too. I mean, they, uh, no one is willing to do the hard work of recovery. And and I get it. Some if you get so far out there that you're you're homeless and you're chronically ill and stuff, I I, I get it. There we need to find safer measures. But my goodness, it's it's not for everybody. That, that's all I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm sure you yeah. see in the rooms how many people are on chronic stuff uh, that they they really keep some from from a full recovery. Frankly. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around. And uh, yeah, the the homeless thing, I mean, so many of them, it's either mental illness or addiction, you know, pretty much. Yep. Not a lot That's of it. That's it. And it breaks your heart. That's right. And That's the solution, as say, is very, very difficult. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, but, but at least, you know, we have these open air asylums, and it'd be nice if at least. A physician was involved in supervising the allocation of resources for this open air facility we have, but there's not one, not one physician involved in uh, the systematic uh, allocation of resources. And by the way, you're not allowed legally to do anything. Oh, why'd you find that, uh, Caleb? That's a picture of my look what he put up there. That's Google. Crazy. Wow. Probably, probably that very show. She was something. Crazy. That is amazing. What was the name of That's the band? What was the name like of the with band? a wig on? Um, I don't remember. Uh, I, I actually heard a recording of the that performance one time. Didn't she yeah. also wow. open for Red Buttons or something? No, no. But that was on the on the. No, Ed she Sullivan she show. was big with uh, Ben Blue. Ben yeah, Blue, she yeah, a, she was in the she Ben was Blue ben band. Blue's, no, she was in Jimmy McHugh's band, but she was with Ben Blue's. She was Ben Blue's foil, straight guy. She would play the straight mm-hmm. man for Ben Blue's comedy routines. So she was. She we, also we, hung around with Kennedy. <laughs> no, not really. A little bit. Yeah, we don't really know. She, she, a lot of and her stories were obfuscated and, and, and remain obscure. <laughs> she, so she didn't tell us a lot until we didn't find out until Drew was in his forties and we found it on the internet. Right. Really. Some of some of the, some of the yeah some of the things that. Um, was going on in her life there <laughs> she, she had a very much of a don draper quality i loved her uh, she so. was the best <laughs> so are, are you still discovering uh, right. things yeah are you still discovering we, things we that? not really uh, i i've had some some extraordinary discovery let's just say she had she had a whole life and family before mine and i'm not even oh. sure my dad knew that and I got to wow. meet some of the people that, yeah, because I got to meet the stepson and the step-granddaughter and all these people that we didn't know existed. <laughs> and so there you go. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a different time and people wanted to take things, you know, like I said, I mean, it was very much like Don Draper talked to Peggy after she got pregnant. It just yeah. didn't happen. 
You, yeah, and you <laughs> yeah. can't do that in this day and age. Let's let's take some calls. Let's uh, get some Those calls. Those are the in days. Here. Yeah, right. Uh, Josh, come on up. I'm I'm guessing. There we are. Hey, Josh. Doctor, you hey, know what, Jerry Stahl. I'm guessing this conversation interested you. Yeah, I really. You know, I'm, I was raised Jewish. Um, I had I've suffered from depression. Not that there's a connection between Judaism and depression, but there is there is something that's interesting about Jews and depression. And I think that it does have to go back to this critical agency. You know, in psychoanalysis, you call it the super ego. It, it turns on itself. It also is very critical of others. And it's, to, being Jewish, you know based on the history, it's very difficult to get out of that trap. Um, I find myself really resonating with what uh, Jerry, your friend Jerry is saying here and the guest. And um, I just want to know, like, it, I do agree with Jerry, just based on history, if you did any history lessons, the Jews in every part of the world have always been sort of removed in some way. And so it, it does seem to be you know, a peacefulness does does seem to be the exception, actually, for Jews. And um, well, and let, think, let's let me get a ahead. comment about that because that, that we yeah. didn't he didn't really say that specifically, but I I'm I bet you might, Jerry. So go ahead. What what is the the well, uh, history there, of the a, Jewish people? Yeah, there is a theory that, given the traumatic nature of of Jewish history, that there's sort of an epigenetic. Uh, they're prone to depression genetically in the dna mm -hmm. one theory mm -hmm. which uh is my story and i'm sticking to it but you know it's hard to say whether it's your specific family or if it is indeed genetic but it is hard to yep. find a lot of happy-go-lucky in my experience none of my relatives yeah a lot of uh, happy-go-lucky uh jewish individuals who have not been touched in some way by uh by depression is that your experience, Doctor Drew? Oh, hundred percent, absolutely. And and, yeah. and when Jews get addiction, it's a it's a specific kind. It's not it's not the run of the mill addiction. It's it's sometimes it's more dangerous too. It's 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 because it is tied in with a lot of depression and self loathing, and it's it's has mm -hmm. a uh, straight up straight up addiction that say somebody with. Scotch Irish background that is just genetics that explode <laughs> just explode and and they can be happy too they don't have to have depression Jews there's always yeah. a lot of psychological stuff there and some of that I'm wondering so 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 uh, Josh mentioned the family systems the family systems are extremely demanding they're extremely closed they're extremely intrusive right and that's not exactly a, a good way to make happy happiness it's a way to kind of make kids that are repressed and and kind of unhappy they're not out doing stuff mm -hmm. and I, I i he also said that they they don't i think i heard him say they don't judge and i thought yeah they they tend not to judge other people they let other so-called other people the goy they can do whatever they want but you jerry Stahl, mm -hmm. you need to do that you, you we have a special plan for you and you've got to do exactly what we need and this is all that special special stuff which has its own mm -hmm. kind of narcissistic quality to it and again course, it's a closed yeah. system a closed club a closed family it's closed 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 all over the place and and that makes a lot of makes kids unhappy it does and it makes yeah. them feel guilty and oppressed and not living up to things and yeah, uh, Caleb. Caleb going to ring in about Catholic guilt, which is similar, but it's not. Doesn't have the same. 
It's not the same in the world quality. With, with the Jewish community, it's like, you know, oh yeah, you know, uh, Mr. McKillicuddy's son is, is not doing very well. He wants to, you know, he's not thriving in his job or something and that poor kid but jerry if you weren't doing well at school or if you started slacking off no 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 that, that's completely unacceptable and in fact in fact you're going to kill me you're killing me i'm going to die if you if you keep behaving like that and, and, and catholic, the the catholics are the catholics are you're going to hell it's, it's a little different thing it's on you caleb you're going to take yourself to hell Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's was so odd because I wasn't even surprised whenever everything came out about the NSA, uh, watching everything that we do and recording everything because I just naturally, that was my natural inclination. God is watching everything you do every second of the day. Mm. You need to be careful about all of your actions. And I've, I've just always lived like I'm being watched. Nothing changed when I found out the NSA was recording everything. Mm. Now it's the Chinese. My, my, my <laughs> grandfather always used to say, if you ever forget you're a Jew, a Gentile will remind you. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is funny. Well, and, and the, I was, I, the other thing that, that Jews have done to, and I'm surprised the Catholics haven't done it. I, well, well I, and, and African-Americans in America have did it, and Jews do it historically, is using humor. Yeah, humor yeah. to to deal with and, and and i feel like your book is is that humor writ large it's a very familiar juxtaposition of of mirth with pain well i think any oppressed people whether it's african-americans or the irish at one point or jews now they're always using humor as a way to get through um caller <laughs> yeah uh oh go Wait, ahead did you did you say yeah, humor or jumer? It sounded like you. Humor. <laughs> it sounded humor, like humor. you combined two words. Oh. Yeah. I wish I'd said jumer. Uh, yeah. You could patent that. But fin finish that thought. I'm sorry about the phone doing its thing, but go ahead. No, I, I think what, what you were talking about before about Jews being special, but there's also the truth that Oscar Levant, who was a great. Jewish wit. Uh, he was one of the first people to talk about neurosis on television and, and also an addict. He always said, like, self-hate is just narcissism with its pants on backward, which which is kind of true. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're just yeah. as obsessed with yourself. You're obsessed with telling yourself what a piece of shit you are. And, you know, it, yeah. it's the same yeah. muscle. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and that's again, that's that piece of shit around which the whole world revolves. It's that specialness again, and and it's and yeah. it's sort of a, a relative of codependency. Codependency is I'm so concerned yeah. about you, but it's really my pain that I'm feeling, and I just can't differentiate it yeah. from needing you to be a certain way. Yeah, nar okay, these days especially, all, all roads lead to narcissism. They really do, uh, and and that actually concerns me because. I feel like people with you know narcissistic uh, personality constructs can do not so great things, um, and, and I, I, it makes me wonder if there are trends in personality structure across history. And I'm wondering if maybe back in Germany in those days there was something similar going on. That's a great point. I mean, I don't think we have to look too far in our own. Uh presidential history to talk about uh, demented narcissists. And uh, Hitler, certainly, he, 
he, he had a quality of narcissism and also revenge because Jews kept him out mm. of art school. Had they only, you know, oh, right. blotted his, his crappy, you know, uh, watercolors and let him into the damn Vienna art school, none of this might have happened. But uh, he showed Awful. them. You know? Yeah. I'm going to let Melissa come in. Uh, Melissa, we're hooking you up here. Melissa, go ahead. Uh, unmute yourself. Melissa. And, and there you oh, are. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, uh, first of all, I'm feeling very personally attacked as someone that is Jewish. <laughs> I mean, not like in a bad way, but uh, and is in recovery. I'm about four years sober. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, but so much of what you're saying, I just had to say is. I, I just kind of had that moment of clarity, but uh, as to what what you're saying um, in particular regarding Hitler, um, just as a huge also World War II buff, um, I'm just curious, you know, we, we hear a lot about the immediate and Dr. Drew, you brought this up too, you know, the immediate effects of um, methamphetamine psychosis mm -hmm. and whatnot. I'm just wondering if certain longer term psychosis uh, or not necessarily, not necessarily psychosis, but post acute withdrawal, uh, if if that could have been the long term use could have uh, also played into a lot of the lack of real uh, just clear headed decision making that we saw. Um, so so you're I mean, you're saying that he doesn't even have to have been using when things became so wild. It could have been withdrawal. And and to be fair. Uh, yeah, and yeah. as you, I don't know how you what you experienced, Melissa, but withdrawal can you know post acute withdrawal can last for a year, easy. You can yeah, you can, my drug of choice was alcohol, but I had it for about eight months. Yeah, you people look back at their first year and they go, "Whoa, I, uh, how did I get through that? I, I was not normal. I didn't know it at the time, but but I was not normal." It's a very common common insight that people have at the end of their first year. So yeah, I, I agree with you. That's why that's why I you know it it's. You know, I, I take in all these stories about Hitler using, and there certainly is well-known. I mean, look, they use amphetamines in the military today, uh, you know, pilot, fighter pilots and, and long-term uh, uh, pilot uh, navigations uh, routinely. Uh, there's it's a, lot of, a lot of amphetamines being used. So I'm sure he was around amphetamines for sure. Trying to nail down exactly what was happening to him is really rough. It's really tough, whether it was post-acute withdrawal or actual psychosis. It, you know, we just don't have the, the data, but I, I'm intrigued by the, the fact that we have some documentation of a physician pr providing this stuff to him. And uh, yeah. where, where did Dr. that come Morell, from, Jerry? That, well, Dr. That Morell, come from? Was, uh, there's a book called Blitzed, which documents in detailed form. I believe the author is O-H-L-E-R, but my memory is not what it used to be, so don't hold me to it. But the book is called Blitzed. And it's a really detailed history of, of basically narcotic use among the Nazis, particularly the Nazi leaders. There was a drug called Eucadol that actually his personal physician, Morel, helped develop, which was this very potent combo of amphetamines and opiates. And it's sort of a speedball, mm -hmm. but just it, it mm -hmm. got him out of bed and there it is. Oler, I had the name wrong. Yeah. You're way ahead of me. It's a yeah. book I recommend. Fascinating. 
and it will tell you all you need to know about uh, the effects of drug use on Nazidom. Yeah, it, 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 it's amazing to me how much uh, medical and pharmacological history gets sort of brushed aside in the, in the sort of general historical record. For instance, mm -hmm. uh, Abraham Lincoln had a obsession since, since he visited a prostitute down by the river during his early days in Springfield. Uh, he had an obsession with having contracted syphilis from her. I believe that's why he broke up his engagement, his first engagement to Mary Todd. If you know his history, he broke up and went into a profound depression. The very, the very doctor that treated him with uh, for for the possible uh, infection with syphilis with mercury followed him through the first two years in the White House and maintained him on mercury. During which time he was documented to have had catatonic depressions of which mercury yeah. is well known to be a cause. So these this stuff is, is not new to, to leaders and they're just humans, you know, they, they are flawed. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the very minimum, we can certainly look at the present moment and, uh, you know, uh, reflect upon that. That, that is, a, well, for sure, it, after all, it's just humans. Yeah. It's like a secret history of the world. And uh, I don't think I'm going out mm -hmm. on a limb here, but if you look at... Um, our most recent ex-president's behavior and this spittle flying out of his mouth and this sort of forced, crazy Adderall-like um, pronouncements that are nonstop. Um, that's how he always struck me. Just my opinion, no documentation, though one hears things. Um, I don't know. Do, do you have any opinions about that, about uh, Trump being affected um, and uh, appearing no, I just fuel. saw uh, hypo hypomania and narcissism, which yeah. is really common in some of these some of these business uh, mm -hmm. types, and um, and but but Teddy Roosevelt was the exact same thing, uh, same guy, and, and so you have it, really? it gets it you get it gets oh yeah, uh, I mean he would even when he was when he was commissioner of the police here in New York, he would run around the streets all night because he never slept and beat people up. Mm -hmm. Uh, he just did not sleep, and he's well, well documented. He couldn't sit at a desk. If you wanted to have a meeting with him, you had to go run, run through the park and climb rocks with him because he was so manic he couldn't sit still, and uh, and he was severely narcissistic, severely. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite presidents. So I, I don't know what to do. I, I I generally I generally have a. I know you're judgmental, Jerry, but I generally want to stay away from judging because. Uh, the, these, these conditions that we're talking about, these, these states of being and personality disorders and mood disorders, they're human conditions. And in certain settings, they are a liability. <laughs> you do not want to have them. And in other settings, they're an asset. If you're a, a manic narcissist, I, I want you for a fighter pilot. You make a great fighter pilot. Maybe, I don't know about maybe a general in certain situations. I don't know. But, but, and same with, I mean, you, know, you can name almost any, you know, personality, you know, traits and disorders. And in certain settings, and, and, and usually the other thing about the, all of this is that whatever misery they bring on other people, they're usually suffering more than anybody, typically. That's sort of typically the, yeah. the situation. So I try to have compassion for all the manifestations of the human psyche. And then it's the context. Oh, it's the context that really that matters. Yeah. yeah. And you, you me, can uh, speculate. You could be judgmental to an extent, and you could also have compassion. 
They're not mutually exclusive. Yes. Well, you know, when I say yeah, judgmental, it's more like I, I can relate because there's a part of me that is not that different from the person I'm quote unquote judging. If that makes sense. Interesting. That, I think that's a, I think it makes a deep sense. Leopold, buddy, what's going on? How are you, my friend? Hey, hey, Dr. Drew, long time no hit. How are you? Uh, oh, I'm doing okay. Good. Got back from Hawaii, did some trips and things. But um, I'm fascinated by this uh, subject and uh, love uh, Jerry's, um, you know, artistic endeavors with his writing. And I have a question uh, specifically about some of the um, topics that you talked about, especially uh, Judaism and uh, addiction. Wow. I'm I'm Jewish. I'm also a friend of Bill, um, yeah. and come from like the same from the same cloth yeah. that Jerry is. Yeah, and and I'm curious what what Jerry's thoughts are on the idea of um, one creativity uh, with addiction and and the addicts who um, you know go into creativity as a form of a new addiction in other words doing something creative and focusing all that addictive energy on creativity that's one Le leopold let me i'm interrupt you because yeah. addicts do that with everything and, uh, and they are okay. already i think more creative than the average person so it makes sense to me that one of their passions whatever they get into they go over right they do too much <laughs> and well, so it well, makes sense that the creativity would be part of that as well right well, and then specifically with Jewish, you know, being brought up Jewish, um, you know, this need for success. I don't know. That's what I was know, talking Jerry, about. Yeah. You know, had the same experience with his parents and the family expectations of succeeding and, and how that plays into uh, addiction. And you, Dr. Drew, you talked about how yeah. the Jewish uh, flavor of addiction could actually be more dangerous. I'm curious uh, if you could delve into that and, a little bit And more. the other thing, Leopold, it's one of the only times you see addiction to opiates, stimulants, and benzodiazepines without a really significant alcohol potential. I mean, the, the yeah. again, Jews, t you can literally see Jews that are severe opiate addicts that have never had a relationship with alcohol. You don't see that in the normal addictive sort of setup, no, by normal, you know, the usual run-of-the-mill drug addict. Uh, Jerry, what, I'll let Jerry yeah, talk. I'm sorry. It. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Jerry, your take. Yeah, for me, that that's that part of the culture for me because I'm older. I'm older than you guys. You know, back in the hippie days, drinking was considered lame. Drugs were considered cool. You know, so that yeah. that's the you yeah. know like too uh, too old for punk, too young for hippie. I was in that cusp in between, but nobody drank. Yeah, you know, or if they did. They weren't, you know, it was like Boone's Farm wine or something, you know, wasn't the yeah. way we did drugs. And I think there is a certain, I can only speak for myself, but uh, creativity is another addiction because if you're really creating, you're up there on the high wire and you need something yeah. to make you feel like it doesn't matter, like there's no net. So that's what heroin did for me. And the hardest thing about being clean was writing anyway and saying, no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. And uh, it took a long time to get there. It, it's, it's one of the um, interesting differences in, in drug addiction today. Um, I'm, if, you, if you talk to Bob these days, he'll, he, he, he's talking about this a lot, which is how mm. 
there was a culture to drug addiction. There was almost a purpose to it. There was a spirit to it. And now it's just, it's not, it, there's nothing, there's not a desire to be a part of. There's just, yeah. and, and yeah. that that's, we, we both miss that. <laughs> it sounds odd, but we, we, we miss the treating addicts where you can just go, you remember how you love to run with those guys? You can find you can find something else that's just as passionate. You'd be just as passionate about, and, and, a, yeah. and a drug addict would understand that. Today, they you can't even say that. They'll just go, "Oh, what do you want me to do?" It's like, oh, ooh, ooh. oh <laughs> man, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I always all my heroes were junkies. You know, uh, everybody from uh, Miles Hendrix, you know, all these Lenny Bruce, you name it. But what they don't tell you is when you're getting clean, Keith Richard isn't there with a warm towel. You know what I mean? You're kind of on your own. <laughs> right. right. Now that, that's a hard-earned right. lesson for, for a guy like me. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, and do you, at the time, did you start to look more realistically at what happened to those guys? You know? Yeah, and, and what happened to me. I mean, at some point, I, I was that guy who relapsed so much at meetings. It was like people wouldn't sit next to me because they had relapsosis. You know, it took me a while. That's why when I share, I always talk to the newcomer because, you know, I got a ton of time now, but it took me a minute. But I think that the truth of the matter is that, you know, we're addicted to that struggle, you know, and that, that is another mm. almost replacement for life, you know, because when you're strung out, it's black and white. You either have it or you don't. When you get clean, it's all a gray area. And I think it's dealing with that mm -hmm. gray area that is, uh, that, that's, that's the sweet spot you got to figure out. Yeah, Bob was treated 22 times, I think. And uh, he, his, his uh, you know, relapsosis took the form of us all fleeing from him because he was so obnoxious <laughs> in his illness. And he was scary, scary. And so yeah. it wasn't just that he was going to people around him were going to contract the uh, the relapse. It was that he he was like he burned every bridge. So I, I, I can relate. It's, it's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get uh, Marissa in here. Marissa, you want to say something? Oop, no, she went back into the audience. Um, uh, let's see here. Hold on one second. If anybody else, let me if you, give, you guys give me a second, let me go on to the restream and see what you guys are thinking about. Uh, huh. There's a liver condition that prevents people from metabolizing weed. That's interesting. I've never come across that. Uh, yes, you guys are sharing your war stories. I see that. Was Shakespeare a drama junkie? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know if he uh, was a junkie per se. I doubt it. Though he he might have. You know, part of part of having addiction is. Maybe you can speak to this too. You you have to have access, right? There's got to be something that you want to take. Yeah. And usually, as as we've been talking about all this evening, is there has to be something that puts a little rocket fuel behind it. It really gets you going, getting you, making you want to alter or escape. Mm -hmm. um, and that's some of the you know, some of the stuff we were talking about. I, I sort of characteristically, it's trauma. So, did you have any trauma growing up? uh yeah i guess your dad your dad yeah your dad my dad my mother you know yeah. god rest her soul you know she uh we used to think she was going for vacation she was getting uh, uh electro 
you know, electroconvulsive therapy, you know, so, so there was that. So a very tormented woman. And, uh, uh, you know, my father was an immigrant first generation and met with some success, but just, just couldn't deal and took himself out. So, but again, I I don't use Mm. that to explain or even excuse. A lot of people have had it a lot worse and not destroyed their lives or other people's lives the way I did. That just happened to be my circumstance, but there was certainly to answer your question, plenty of trauma to go around. Yeah, it 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 gets walled off in, on a in a in a bodily based sort of way, and uh, you walk around in pain and not even aware of it. And so when you get the pain relief, uh, you notice it. You notice it. It feels that's right. It feels for the first time okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's like uh, gravity. You don't a lot of It's it's uh, what's what was uh, David Foster Wallace's story about the fish. Uh, two young fish are, are are floating through the water one day, and an older fish comes by and goes, "Hey, boys, how's the water?" And the and uh, the two boy fish, the younger fish, don't know what to say, and they look at each other and go, "What's water?" Or <laughs> something something. Like, the water sure is nice today, and it doesn't feel great. Isn't it great? What's you know, the, what what is surrounding us all the time becomes background. And um, are are what are the where do you want people to go? Do you have a website set up? I'm not a website guy. I'm uh, I'm old school. Mm-hmm. They can buy the book anywhere, uh, any indie press, or if they want to go corporate and hit Amazon, they can do that. And uh, okay. that is the extent of my uh, online presence. To tell you the truth. Do you have, do you have a book tour or anything coming up? Yeah. Uh, I've been on a tour. Oh. Uh, I'm be in Chicago uh, in a couple of days at a place called Primitive. I'm going to be uh, Book Soup in Los Angeles, uh, the 28th. I did uh, the 92nd Street Y with uh, Ben Stiller interviewing about, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sort of at the tail right. end of the tour now. Yeah. Okay. Damn, I wish we'd known about that. We could have gone up there and saw, seen that. Oh, my oh, goodness. So, been- well... Uh, I look forward to reading the book. Uh, I, th- I hope we've whetted the appetites of others out there to see the 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 extraordinary observations you're likely to come upon, and how you can have a depression and uh, you don't have to cut. Uh, cutting is sort of the more the more uh, uh, sort of lame way of doing. It. That's the way other people do it. The way, the way Jerry cuts himself is he goes in deep into painful history and painful environments and picks that scab that way. And it's, and guess what? You get to encounter humanity there. It's not just you sitting alone with a razor blade. It's uh, you, you and other human beings and and with all our craziness and all of our shortcomings and all of our, (laughs) all of our inability to, uh, uh, to see, I, I guess that's what I'm sort of hearing you say more than anything. The fact that, you know, you came in and you saw these unusual juxtapositions and maybe you've uh, encouraged other people to open their eyes a bit. I hope so. But that is the idea for sure. All right, Jerry, thank you thank so you. much. And uh, hopefully hope to meet you soon someday in person and appreciate you being here. And uh, thank you, those of you that have uh, that were willing to talk to us and call in. Of course, everyone over on Restream, we appreciate you all being, being there. Uh, Jerry Stahl, everybody. And... Uh, I'm Rumble's go, on fire. Yeah, I'm going to look at the Rumble rants right now very quickly. Uh, okay. Oh, Jehep likes you. Jehep is my friend now? Yeah. He, no, he likes Jerry. Uh, in oh, he's City, tried to reinstate. Oh, the mask mandate. Oh, he likes Jerry. Good. Uh-huh. Uh, he's outside Detroit, too. I'm uh, assuming oh it's goodness. a he. 
Diane, I have. Jahan. 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 You're funny. Um, <laughs> Hitler was a. Yep. Yeah. You're uh, speaking on the other side of the mic, honey. You got to put the mic in front of your face. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking around it so I can see the, the computer. That's the only problem. <laughs> what? It's I 35, 40 years of working with microphones. By the way, every time she, every time she moved it away, a giant uh, <laughs> billboard would come up on my screen with Caleb yelling at me, "Get it near your mouth! Get I it down!" I know, but it was, so, it was there's a it was in so, front of your eye. There we go. I, I understand. That, the sweet then, spot. Then, then we can do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, the light changed. The sun went down, and so I had to move the light over and change the camera because you. Were it dark. actually looks better yeah, now. I get it. Thank you. Yeah, I I am I get a little philosophical about. Uh, I mean, Jerry obviously has some very strong feelings about things. I tend to be more philosophical because I don't know what the right thing is for the right moment. I, we're all we all have our own pathologies, and some of those may work for us all. Someone may work against us, and and I just don't know. I, I, I history is too complicated a phenomenon for me to judge what is a good thing and what is a bad thing. I just know that. There have been lots of things that look like bad things that turned out to be good things. There are lots of things that looked like good things turned out to be bad things. Yeah, the Holocaust I mean, was not good. I mean, just look at Jimmy Carter. Uh, you know, Jim, everyone, universal agreement. Good person, good guy, great post-president. Wasn't the right man for the job at the moment. Uh, so it, it, there's so much to these, these historical interpretations of what what you know i i, I again i i'm worried about my own hubris so i'm always trying to, to be humble in the face of these things i i can observe these things and i can see them and i can comment on them but i don't know what they mean necessarily i i don't know you know what it means that uh putin is the way he is or is he sick or is he not and i i, I know the system uh i can kind of understand the system that he leads up as being uh, something that yields that doesn't care about uh, individual humans and doesn't He's value ruthless. individuality. I, I, but maybe the five guys behind him are even more ruthless. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, yes, he's ruthless. Yes, he's KGB. Yes, he's all these things. Uh, but but I don't. I, I is that the worst one in that position, or would you get something worse in it? I, I I don't know. It's too too many variables. I do think I, it does make me feel bad that our government doesn't do a lot of things actively to try to. To stabilize the world, it doesn't seem like. Maybe they are. I don't, we just don't, I don't think we it, have the know. power anymore. Well, we're afraid of everybody. Yeah. So. Well, we have to. We also have to be respectful of other countries. So. It's complicated. The point is, it's complicated. Uh, any event. Uh, if you ask a Ukrainian, they'll say it's worth us giving up our country so that that he doesn't go farther. I've I've talked to other Ukrainians about it who actually have family that live there, and they just said. It's not worth saving. Just yeah, I I believe that people should take stands. Then why didn't they just good. let them have it? You know what I mean? Like that they could have done that. That's right. That's one. That's one, what they, I would. It could have happened, and I and I think we all admire that they didn't. We admire it. Now, was it the right thing? The smart thing? I I I I I, I think you're in the little better territory. That's why people think moralistically because if we were to look at it being the correct thing and the country gets destroyed, you might go, oh, they shouldn't have done that. But if it was the right thing, if your conclusion was this was the, with a capital R, this was uh -huh. something you needed to do because it was the right thing, then it kind of doesn't matter what the outcomes are in a way. And that's, yeah. that's when we've lost track of moral thinking. 
And uh, I, I'm not saying all things should be put on a moral scale. I'm not necessarily saying that, but it can help you sort of make sense of unclear situations. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and and also, you know, if if think if the outcomes don't go the way you want them to be, you you can still look. I does does G, did Jesus like the way things turned out for him? You know what I mean? The, the you know, chained to us, you know crucified i mean is that is that a happy life no no but it, but, but it was a good life and it was a good thing for humanity he, he lives forever in heaven and he he it was a good thing for humanity became a leader was, of the free world was it a good thing for him in that moment no, no it's not so much but that was just his but, body not his soul i, I understand but the, the point being is though that you can make decisions that have really nasty outcomes and still have done the right thing and still have led a good life and I, and I don't think we do enough thinking about that. That's yeah. just my own personal opinion these days. Um, well, I think a lot of people in the Ukraine are hard. sacrificing their lives for this. Yes, they are. They, they are. And, and, they, and they think they, it's the correct, not, not necessarily correct, right thing to do. It, yeah. So it's, it's rough. It's sad. Okay, it's so me, crazy. I don't know. I guess, I mean, we're not in that position. I, I hope we never will be. But if I was in that position, I might feel the same way. Well, let me look at some of what you guys are saying here. Uh, Carl's Jr. Lover is saying it's pathetic. What is pathetic, Carl's Jr. Lover? Uh, or it's pathetic. Maybe. It just seems like in this day and age we shouldn't have, you know, this kind of stuff going on. As Jerry just pointed out to us, it has always been, and the exceptions are the, the in-between times. I know. And we should be uh, very clear-eyed as we approach these things. Um, did you see that in New York City now? Did you notice on TV they have ads for how to survive a nuclear holocaust? Yes. Oh, great. Yes. When when there's a bomb that goes off, here's what you do. And it's online, too. And what do, what do we do? You go to the center of the building. It's, if you're outside, you go in immediately. You in take your hallways? clothes off in the, in the center. Take your clothes off. Put them in a bag. Wash. Take a shower. I, I don't know how you avoid radioactive water, though. I mean... Uh, but it, it, just look look up nuclear, New York City... Uh, Nuclear. I'm running out into the sun, and I'll be the first one to go. I know Susan wants to be just be in a kind of blast. Unless of glory. you've got a big bag of oxy on you. <laughs> <laughs> Insights this. into my wife, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Caleb, there you go. <laughs> so she's either going to run towards the mushroom cloud, or if I can uh, find a group of a big bag of oxy cotton, she'll I'm hang going out. out with style. She'll hang out here for a little while. <laughs> look up seriously. Look up New York City. No thanks. No, I, no, I'll no. take your word for it. All right, I'm going to look it up. Thank you for looking at that. Caleb, you could look it up. New York City. I'm not putting it into the universe. nuclear blast. <laughs> Jehovah's coming with me, Drew. Uh, sorry, nuclear blast. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I Here bet Tom will come too. New York City releases video guide for surviving a nuclear blast. That's crazy. There it is. Interesting. Yeah, I guess they have to worry about it, or we do. <laughs> it's it's the fact that it's, it's just here it is i mean here it is here it is get inside we're closer to china get inside so. move away from windows stay inside shut doors and windows go to the middle of the building stay tuned follow the media great the media who we all trust immensely <laughs> now yeah. um, well that's the only time you want to have the news station on your direct tv so you have to have a news channel but how do you watch it if you're in the middle of the building right Oh, I guess online or look for, you know, but how's your Wi-Fi going to stay? I'm there? sure this I building would like have a loudspeaker no, no, tell us to all stop may, panicking. Maybe, maybe. But that's what they did in the World Trade Center too, right? I'm running so, right out into the, so I'm going to go stand on the Hudson River and watch the sun go down. Okay. Quickly. All right. 
thank you guys again. I keep uh, telling Drew he has to have like a pilot. Wait, there's uh, Carl's Jr. Lover. We focus on the workers. You mad at me for making sense? Carl's Jr. Lover, you're you're all broken up in there. Maybe Tom, are you attacking him? Is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> ah, because Carl's Jr. is trolling apparently to Tom's. Okay. Uh, let's see. Grab grab stuff. Kelsey, you Kelsey's joining ass. me. Kelsey Keith on you. Yep. Okay. I want to see the clouds. Secret now says, "Oh boy." We are getting macabre. This is getting. This is going from. Uh, well, of, I mean, it's reality, I guess. And I, you know, we all have to have a little humor in it because what are you going right, to do? Right, right. Which is what Jerry was reminding us of tonight. All right, so we are uh, not going to have a program tomorrow. We'll be back on Thursday and Drew Friday. We will be appearing on Gutfeld if anybody likes. Far. Oh, Uncle Man, he's the guy that was Brian. Uh, was uh, on. American Idol. Rid- one of the hosts. The first season of American Idol had two hosts. It wasn't just Ryan, Ryan Seacrest. It was Ryan Seacrest and Brian Dunkelman, and he's coming out again with some I think new- we were there that day. Nope. Uh, and- no, we, got, we were there the second season. Yeah. Uh, and then we are going to talk to possibly, I want to get some new, like you see, I'm getting some new stuff in here for these streaming shows, and uh, talk to a gentleman that, hopefully joins me i've read his book on hypnosis it was kind of interesting um his uh he's a french man he wrote the book in french i read it in french and uh, enjoyed it it was very clear and i could understand everything the way his writing style is because uh, a lot of french literature i have trouble i have to go to constantly look up look up the vocabulary but his was very clear and very easy to read and it, it's a really interesting topic you know i if you follow uh for instance scott adams scott adams is a hypnotist and a lot of the stuff he's talking about is in that sort of hypnotic realm the, the realm of um persuasion is a very close relative of of, hypno, of hypnosis so hopefully we can get into that so again i will see so you. why don't hazmat suits work who said they don't? For a nuclear holocaust. Who said they don't? Like maybe we should take off all your clothes and put on a hazmat suit. I guess you could. You have one handy. Is no, that... but I'm just saying, if we're that worried, they should have like supplies of them in the city for you to they have were... in your closet, like next year. They were easier ball gown to, uh, and your high heels. Easier to pass out, harder to pass out than masks. I would say. <laughs> so. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm Jay, still thinking about it. Jahan Jahep is in there Jahep. D- defending us on all yep. fronts. And uh, yep, we appreciate that, my friend. All right. So, uh, and Goldfish is saying we respect someone who denies the truth. What is the truth that uh, Mr. Goldfish is trying to share with us? I'm always interested in the truth. Broom, broom, boomers live like materialism, consumerism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you're, you're using an, uh, what's called a shibboleth, an empty slogan. If you have a specific complaint, uh, I've been doing a lot of growing, Diane says. Uh, different types, different levels of hadmas suits. World Dunlap reminds us that is true. And um, <laughs> Drew Drew wants to heal people. He wants to keep them alive. That's his. That's thing. yeah. That's yeah. what he lives for. Yeah. Um, I'm very spiritual, and I'll I'm just know when the time comes. It's that time. Mm. You know, I don't. I mean, I'm. I would stay with him as long as possible, but you know, to help. I know I wouldn't run out to the sun. I'd All right, to. we are grinding to a halt here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank but you. But honestly, for you guys, thanks for watching. You know, make sure you check out the latest uh, Doctor Drew After Dark. They're all getting funnier and funnier. We've got some great guests, and also, um, you know, follow us on all the platforms on both 
uh, everything's available on Dr. Drew. Somebody just YouTube asked an interesting channel. question. They and asked, Dr. does the vaccine work? And uh, Corolla and I are going to be discussing this graph. I want you to look at it, see if you can see that. This is a, it's a little close. Go back a little bit. It's a Canadian study. Okay. Text Caleb, it to me. can I send it to you? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> e uh, email it. Email getting, it to me. He's getting creative. Email it to you? Okay. Hold on. Gosh darn it. Okay. Give me a second here because I do want to put this up on the screen. You're going to give me one second. It's uh, all right. It's a study that shows it's from a Canadian study, and I and I don't know who did it. And I, it's actually, uh, yeah, I don't know who did it. I, and Corolla sent it to me and said, "What do you think of this? Do you still think the vaccine works?" And it's it's an interesting study. It shows that because somebody on on uh, Goldfish on Rumble one, two, he was asking, "Do I think the thing works?" Well. I do think, I don't think it causes infection, this prevents infection. I don't think it prevents spread. You can still catch it. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I do think it probably reduces the intensity of the illness because I've seen unvaccinated people get the same Omicron and, and vaccinated and right. it, it is different. Right, it's not like a always, common cold. Not always, but it is different. The people that really do well are the hybrid immunity, people vaccinated and who have had Omicron, yeah. especially more than once. I can attest um, to that. But this this particular study suggests that in a dose-related fashion, you're more likely to get infected. You're no less likely to stay out of the hospitalization. And if you're double boosted, you're more likely to die. Now, the only thing uh, by a factor about three to one. And the only thing I would say about the triple boosted or double boosted category, those tend to be older people. Yeah. We, we we know what we're doing over the age of seventy five. We boost repeatedly because we because we have data. We have data to tell us to what do that. What if you haven't had a vaccine in a year? Uh, it it's shouldn't like it shouldn't shot. be doing much. It shouldn't be doing. There it is. There is the study up there, guys. So if get you want to look booster. at it, uh, you guys on the Rumble rant, look at that. Look at that particular window, and you'll see that this this study. It's a pretty. It's you know pretty big study. And it's suggesting that we're not doing much with the vaccines. And, and I am, of course, I've been saying for a long time that it's not a perfect vaccine, has maybe a little higher side effect profile than, than we would like. Um, I still, and, and, and on top of that, today the CDC came out and is are essentially mandating boosters. I mean, they're not in their own way mandating. I don't, I don't know quite what the, in other words, I'm fearful that they're going to start saying you're going to need the booster to have the vaccine passport to travel into the country and that kind of thing. And I think they're heading that direction. Now, is there any good data to suggest that taking a non-Omicron specific vaccine? Boy, it, that is a that's a tough putt. Yeah, that's a tough putt. If you're young and healthy, if you're 75, yes, yes, Just get yes, Omicron. Get it. But if you're if you're under 45. Man, it's it like gets... getting a head cold. And let's see. I mean, not everybody. Some not people everybody. have some, some responses to but, it. But, but most of it's been pretty mild. But if you've had two vaccines, it's probably... Most of it's been pretty mild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hang on a second. Psychic, psych in the low boat, whatever. Sweden is in better shape than we are. Yes, yes. Because they didn't put, send their kids home. They kept them in school. Just that. Just that one thing. Make things drastically better. I, I, again, I, I've said this forever. I'm going to say it again, that when when the Ukrainian, you know, women went across the border into Poland with their kids, remember, you know what I'm going to say, yes. right? They the first thing they would say when somebody would put a microphone in their their face, they would say, "It's terrible. We're leaving our husbands behind. It's really awful." 
well, we got to get the kids in school. I mean, you got to find a school for these kids. They've been out of school for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Can you believe? Well, no, oh, they don't we got to do something. So you know, and so this is and instead here we uh, did it for I, two they years. They didn't expect their houses to be bombed either. So. Well, no, they were in Poland. <laughs> but then once they, they got Poland. to Poland, they they learned Polish too. That's the point. They even went into institutions where they didn't speak the language. They were yeah. so adamant about getting these kids back in school. So anyway, uh, I feel so bad for them. There we go. Uh, let's see. Mew Mew's family got COVID, tested positive. Yeah, it's not bad though, right? No. Aunt has shingles. That's not good. Oh, shingles is worse. That. I gotta get that shingle shot. Ugh. Medical passport is dystopian. Serena Del Mar says uh, it. It is a little. It is, isn't it? This is the stuff we were talking about with Jerry and it. And how do you know who the good guys are? Is it right thing for them to be doing this? Or the app, is, is it fascistic for them to be doing this? It's really odd. It's really an odd thing to try to try to navigate and understand. Uh, Word Dunlop said, never vaccinated, never got COVID. I attribute to sensible breakfasts. <laughs> well, you may never get COVID because a certain uh, subset of the population does not get it. But uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet on you eventually getting it. So I'll just... <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Is Oma, if he gets Omicron, though, will it be less potent as the OG? Uh, oh, yeah. Because it's the, the uh, although I've seen some nasty Omicron, particularly BA5 can be nasty. So it, it's going to be not fun. It's going to be not fun for him, but it, it may be mild. It may also yeah. be mild. Yeah. Shingles, shingles vaccine should be freely distributed in America if the system were sensible. I need yeah. to get that. Yep, and I need to go get it. I know. Yep, you didn't need to get it. It's a nasty noticed. vaccine, though. That's one, you know, you guys want a vaccine that is tough. I know, you're really selling it, Drew. It's, it, look, it prevents shingles, which is a lot worse. This is the point. We we take I risks. Know. We do things to people to to, obvi to obviate the, the worst problems, to, to prevent the worst. I had stuff. chicken pox when I was 32. Yep. yep. It was not fun. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, well, let's uh, touch your camera through the France. COVID's a lot easier. Let's say, hey, Hitler, everybody. Aloha. Uh, and we will see you all on day after tomorrow on Thursday with uh, the former host of American Idol. Who, My boyfriend, Jep, had the Nuffman. Delta variant. Oh, Strong did he? Strong man. Well, yeah. yeah Delta <laughs> He's alive was, to talk about it. Delta was pretty nasty. Yeah, Drew had that too. Wasn't pretty. Uh, so I'm glad I, that one's over with. Yeah. Oh, got shingles after the COVID shot. Whoa. No. That can happen. Yes. Yes, it can happen. It's unusual. I mean, much like people get Bell's palsy and oh, things too. No. Yeah, it can happen. Yeah, I don't want Bell's palsy after a COVID shot. I I had that once. I don't need it again. I don't. Uh, let's see. I hope they really get that booster safe and easy. You know, for everybody. Well, Novavax is is on the verge of approval. Everybody, uh, I if I need a booster, that's what I'm going to take. That's me. If they if they approve it for boostering, uh, that that's sort of the way I'm I'm sort of oriented is sort of the more traditional traditional uh, platforms. Uh, oh, the the mic has been off. I did not know how, that that had happened over at uh, Spaces. Oh no, you but, uh, off. I apologize for that. But you just you you've just missed us rumbling around here. So we're grinding to a, 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 a halt. We appreciate yeah, you all yeah. being here. We we're will see you on Thursday. People. Thursday, Thursday. We'll see you then. Thank you for being here. We'll have a nice day tomorrow. Ta ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. 
I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 